Disclaimer. Disclaimer. I hardly know her. This show is not suitable for young listeners due to explicit language and sometimes explicit themes. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, hi, Tigers. It's me, Melody Starkweather, your absentee host. I'm almost done my break, and I'll maybe even tell you why I had to take this break on the next episode. Just kidding. I'll totally tell you, but not now. On the next episode. On that note, we're going to be talking about online dating in a fucking pandemic. So we'd love your stories. Did you meet your significant other online? Did you get ghosted? Did you get dick pics? Did you... I don't know. What happened? Send us your stories. We would love voice memos or voice notes, whatever you want to call it. But also written stories are great. We have great speaking voices and we can totally read your emails out loud. (laughs) You can send those to teachmetigerpodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs, baby, at teachmetigerpodcast on Instagram. Okay, so housekeeping out of the way. The episode that we're listening to today is number 39 from October of 2019, Aliens, Schmaliens. And in keeping with our other spooky reruns in this last little stretch, we're talking about spooky aliens, spooky bitches. That's us. My good buddy Liz Cooper is co-hosting and we talk on this episode to a legit UFO expert, Dr. Laura Thursby. So enjoy the show and send me your online dating stories and I will see you soon for a brand new epi. Okay, bye. Welcome to episode 39 of Teach Teach Me Me Tiger. (laughs) You can make some like oohs and ahs or whatever. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's exciting. (laughs) Hi, Tiger. Teach me, Tiger, how to kiss you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Welcome to Teach Me Tiger. Welcome. Welcome, Melody. Welcome, Liz. <laughs> Welcome to my kitty litter room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We record the, I feel blessed to be here. And both of the cats are here with us. Oh, one of them's about to use the bathroom. <laughs> we record when we're at my house in Kingston, we record in the same room where the cat litter is. This really is tigers in the wild, you know? <gasps> Yes, yeah. we should take video. Maisie's currently should in the litter take box. Take video of the cat shitting and put it on Instagram. That's a great idea, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! And I'm getting my phone. <laughs> She's gonna do it. Uh, okay. So, well, Liz is taking a picture of the cat shitting. I just want to <laughs> formally welcome you to Teach Me Tiger, the show where we learn about new things through the lens and knowledge. Of our friends, or sometimes friends of friends, friends of friends, even. So, so this week we're talking about extraterrestrial experiences, UFO sightings, strange things in the sky, 
We have some stories from our friends, and we have an interview with a super charming and wildly knowledgeable academic on the subject, Laura Thursby. <gasps> that name sounds like something out of a Harlequin romance novel. Dr. Laura Thursby. I mean, I'm, maybe she moonlights. As a character in a romance novel? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite the trick. <laughs> She's a university professor, and although I bet she's a little kooky, she's no kook. She's a doctor. <laughs> and then, decidedly non-experts, Liz and Melody, will share some light Google research. Some light. I did, <laughs> I did some light Googling right before this. About 15 minutes worth. <laughs> this, this is why we're semi-educational. semi-educational. Just like we're semi-erect. <laughs> <laughs> For UFOs and aliens, guys. <laughs> no such perverts. God. I'm just, I'm just horny for aliens, okay? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, before we get to that, we have some housekeeping. What do we have to housekeep? Well, we have a couple regular podcast segments. First of all, Liz, how was your week? Um, my week was great. I'm in the middle of a three weekend stretch of weddings, which is not so, many. So your week was like shitty and tiring, actually. Uh, well, it was tiring, yeah. But I did have a week peak. I went. Tell me all about it's it. Kind of funny, actually. So I went to um, Toronto overnight for mm-hmm. one night mm-hmm. with my friend Meredith to go see a drag performance. We bought tickets a few months ago. There's a the winner of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race season six, Bianca Del Rio, is a stand up. Oh, her drag performance is like basically she dresses up in drag and then just does stand up comedy. Cool. So we bought tickets. It was at the Danforth Music Hall on Thursday night. And it was bad. Oh. And it was weird because everyone else in the theater was laughing. And I felt like Meredith and I were on crazy pills. And I have been looking for reviews of this performance because it's a world tour. She's everywhere. She's going all over the place. And everyone's like, oh, Mia Rio is so amazing. And I really liked her on her season of Drag Race. Yeah. Which is why we paid to go to see her on in this performance. But what it was, was just like 1950s borscht belt one-liners. Borscht belt meaning like, um, there was lots of like dirty dancing style summer camps. Right. And they called them borscht belt because like lots of Jewish families would go to them. Okay. I think I'm right here. Now I have to look up borscht belt and comedy and maybe ask Jared. <laughs> but basically. Uh, Jared? <laughs> <laughs> but just one, like just very old fashioned style of comedy, which I'm fine with, but it's all one-liners like making fun of people. I'm also okay with dark comedy and having people make fun of people, but these were all just bad jokes. Like, the comedy was just bad. Right. Anyway, we left before it was done, and we went and got beer and pizza. Wow. Yeah. It was so bad you left before it was over? Was there, like, a halftime kind of... No, we just left. Oh, wow. We just got up and left. It was that bad. I, and I don't... Was it, like, a generational thing? What was the crowd like? They were all pretty young, because people who like drag race are pretty young and how old is what's her name again bianca del rio she's like 44 or something she's not much older than us i feel confused yeah so so do i i feel confused and um so the week peak it was still a week peak for me because we ate a ton of really good food we went swimming in the hotel pool and i bought yet another cheap ring that will be my wedding ring because every ring i wear keeps giving me eczema it's pretty <laughs> thanks it's just silver and rose quartz it was like 30 dollars. Really yeah so i'm gonna wear this so people know i'm married cool. cool yeah i mean i had a great time meredith was pretty disappointed i mean i was disappointed too but in the morning i said well all the wonderful food we're having is more than made up for that terrible performance and meredith said well i wouldn't say more than made up for it 
Were the tickets expensive? I think so. I I bought them a few months ago, so now I can't remember, and I don't want to look them up. I see. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How about you? Do you know what my week peak was? What was your week peak? My week peak literally was researching for this podcast episode. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> You can do a real deep dive on UFO sightings no and shit. alien abduction stories and shit. I mean, I didn't even really get into abductions. I was mostly just looking up UFO sightings. Like, do they exist? Yeah. Or have people seen them? And uh, there's a lot out there, and it's really fun. I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I researched. I'm going to tell you about it in a little bit here, but I researched the Falcon Lake incident, which is arguably Canada's most famous and most well-documented UFO encounter. I'm really excited to talk about it. I've never heard of it. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I picked Holly, my daughter Holly, up at a camp this morning. She spent her first night away from home, and we blasted the Frozen soundtrack on the way home and sang together really loudly while driving in the sunshine, and that was definitely a week peak as well. That's nice i love the frozen soundtrack and i do you love it i love it oh really like you love it <laughs> kind of i've never listened to it or seen the movie i only listened to it with holly but hashtag when... no children <laughs> yeah i only listened to it with holly but i just fucking love it there's a song that olaf the the, the um, snowman the snowman sings about wanting to like live in summertime that i Aww. literally still like laugh at the one-liners that are in that song <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like singing along and chuckling. <laughs> give me, give me, give me an example. I'll finally see a summer breeze blow away a winter, a winter storm. storm. And find out what happens to solid water when it gets warm. <laughs> and I can't wait to see what my buddies will all think of me. Just imagine how much cooler I'll be in summer. <laughs> <laughs> But he's a snowman, Melody. I know. That's a- winter's winter's a good time to stand and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. <laughs> That's a great one because it's kind of dark because he would be a puddle. Uh-huh. And it rhymes with cuddle. Cuddle. Oh, I like the is this is it is this a Walt Disney movie? I suppose it is. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I like I the su- darkness there. I suppose it is. It's layers of existential darkness. Yeah. Liz <clears throat> loves that shit. Because won't we all just be puddles? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, that got really dark. And now, Sorry. Uh, now my week peaks are fucking downer, Liz. Sorry. I'm but your week peak sounds really nice. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun listening to music and singing with your kids. Yeah. Doesn't that sound nice, everybody? Yeah. I, I feel like I complain about my children so much. It's important <laughs> that I tell people that I like them and we, we have fun together. <laughs> you have lots of fun together. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, can I also say that part of my week peak is that despite the very disappointing performance we saw, I was still fine with it, which is unusual for me. Oh. It's that, like a psychological win. It was like a psychological win for me because like, I'm just thinking about the delicious food because we ate at a couple of really nice places and I'm like, that was enough, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so like, I'm just felt, happy to be alive. I just felt good about myself because normally I'm kind of a downer and I'll be like, oh, well, that was a waste, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. You just had a good time. Yeah. That's nice. It was nice. Well, I'm glad you had a nice quick trip. Quick trip. 36 quick, hours. Quick getaway. Um, one more item of business. 
Elizabeth, would you like to reach into my big, juicy box? More than anything. <laughs> Roll up your sleeves, pull up your socks, reach on into Melody's box. Icebreakers. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, I'm reaching into my own box. Well, how familiar terrain. <laughs> wait, 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 give it to me. Oh yeah. Well, this is um, apropos considering our discussion of Olaf the Snowman oh. and his existential dilemma. Okay. Would you rather live where it only snows or the temperature never falls below 100 degrees? So either very hot or very cold. Um, Very hot. Really? Why? Mm. I don't like cold. Ugh. <laughs> I know you like winter. I don't like it. I don't like having like wet feet. I don't like having cold feet. And my feet are always really cold anyway. And I know from my sister and brother-in-law who lived in Singapore that if you live in a really hot climate, your veins actually like physically move closer to the surface of your skin so you can cool off better. No. Yes. Uh, probably not all of them. It's probably so you, like not a mass exodus. They're all like, ah! So basically what they're saying is that you do indeed physically acclimatize to you warmer do. temperatures. Yes. And maybe you would do that in the snow, but I don't want to, I don't want to try. I hate being cold. I hate being hot. Yeah, I would live. We're in like the, yin and yang, Liz. We are. I would live in the 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 cold place just so long as I had like a house with heat and some blankets. Yeah, I mean that wasn't specified. Are we? I, I, <laughs> are we like naked in the elements in the situation? Right. Would you still pick snow? <laughs> right, but would you still pick a hundred degrees? Like you, those are equally deadly. I don't know. You could get under a tree at least. What if, if there aren't any trees in this scenario? Oh my god, we're just like in um a wasteland. When yeah. like when Eleven goes under the water and then she's in the like black space, the like endless black space. It's like that. Yeah, it's either a hundred degrees <laughs> or always snowing. <laughs> what do you do? That's, yeah, I don't know. A hundred degrees Fahrenheit. That's what you meant. That's what that's what that question means. I understood though. that it meant okay. 100 degrees Fahrenheit because in Canada, like, <laughs> 100 degrees is what you boil water at. <laughs> and if it was 100 degrees Celsius, um, well, we'd all be dead. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So really, the question is: Would you rather boil to death or freeze to death? <laughs> I don't. In that case, I think I think I want to freeze to death. Apparently, freezing to death. There, there is pain because your body is starting to freeze. But at the end, right before you die, uh, you're, you go into a kind of euphoria. Oh, so I've heard. Who'd you hear that from? Someone who died by freezing to death? <laughs> Good point. Good point. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up now to see if it's true. But I have had someone say to me once that if they're ever found dead in the middle of the forest in the winter, that it was probably suicide. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Creepy, huh? Yeah. Maybe I heard it from that person. <laughs> hmm. Well, the only reason I picked that is because I think your heart slows down and you basically like pass. You just out. fall asleep. You go into like shock. Yeah, yeah. you fall asleep. You fall exactly. asleep. Whereas when the alternative, po- like boiling to death or burning to death, that sounds terrible. It would be <laughs> relatively quick, I think, at that temperature. No, I don't think Liz so. Liz doesn't I, think it would be quick. I don't think so. Definitely I, th- I think you would, I think it'd be bad. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's freeze. <laughs> freeze. Now my ice is firm and solid. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Olaf. Oh well. This game of icebreakers is over anyway. It's over. It's done. <laughs>
icebreakers. Should we get to the show? Yeah, let's, let's get to the show. Let's get right on the show. I was collecting UFO stories and ghost stories, or have been collecting UFO and ghost stories over the past ey, couple of months, really. And a lot of people don't want their name to be public, especially related to the UFO thing. People don't want they don't, people to like laugh at them and there's think a they're stigma. total yeah. kooks. Yeah. You know? So I'm not going to say people's names, even the people who didn't ask me to do that, just because, I don't know. Mix it all up. I don't know. So this is a lady I know. Way back, I guess I was about seven-ish. And Leanne and I, my twin sister and I, we saw this. So we had confirmation, right? We saw this light hovering in the backfield. And it was um, very white light. And it went away, and we just sort of didn't think anything of it. It was, you know, we were seven, we saw it, and that's about it. And then the next... I didn't hear the story until like 20 years later, but um, my dad and my Uncle Bill went out to the backfield because they saw a light the night before, and they went out to the backfield the next day, and they saw these like crop circles. We lived on 250 acres, and to this day, my dad won't talk about it, but Bill will, because it freaked my dad out, right? My dad was a little bit freaked out. Yeah. So Leanne and I remember it. We confirm with each other. And we also had a dream once. We shared a dream. And I consider it was some sort of contact because we woke up the next morning. We were nine-ish. And we woke up the next morning. I started telling the dream and she finished it or vice versa. I forget. But it was my sister and I and my dog up in this craft. And there was communication. It was light language. It was beautiful. It was not, like, verbal. And it was very compassionate and comforting. It was beautiful. Anyways, we had the same dream. When you say crop circles, you mean, like, um, These patterns, the patterns cut into the grass and circular. So that's what my Uncle Bill saw. And we had a conversation when I was in my, I don't know, mid to late. 20s, mid 20s. I went over to his place and he told me the story and it all came back to me because I didn't know we shared it with my dad and Bill at the time. Anyways, it was interesting. Yeah. Whoa. Also, did you record that at a party with your children? <laughs> we record. I recorded a bunch of stories around a campfire. Ah. Um. So I'd like to clarify something. When she said I didn't realize we shared it with my dad and uncle, so she didn't realize that her dad and uncle had seen the crop circles. They'd seen the light, and then they'd gone out and found the crop circles. So they That's just her dad and uncle, not her and her sister. Her and her sister saw the lights, but her dad and her uncle saw the lights, and then went out to investigate the next day, and there were crop circles. Crazy. Yeah, crop circles. I wonder if her dad and uncle had the dream. (gasps) I don't know. The dream is pretty cool. Yeah. This person reliable? This person (laughs) reliable? I would say she's reliable. That's a big question in ufology. And in not just in not ufology, but in like UFO reports and investigations, Mm -hmm. the reliability of the witnesses is a very important part of it. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. Because I mean, and like, what's reliable, right? Because I presume that even kind of quote unquote, reliable people, a lot of people will just try and discredit them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I lived with a woman from Venezuela, South America, and she had many sightings of aliens, actually 
holding on to her feet. And these are the ones with the, you know, the big eyes and the yeah. pointy heads. And she did not want them there. So it was a bit of an, an invasive relationship that she had. But she did have control over saying, no, thank you, and asked them to leave. And then they did not return. Yeah, she was quite um, disturbed by them. I don't know. I think... Uh, they show up more than they're actually seen. You know what I mean? She's a poet. And hasn't it been um, recognized, though, on a governmental level that, uh, like, it's legit, they actually exist? Check it out, because I think it's actually been legitimized that they exist. So she's probably referring to all the Tom DeLonge stuff, because that stuff broke in the summer. Tell us all about it, Liz. So Tom DeLong is... Who is that guy, anyway? ...a former member of uh, Blink-182, and um, he has started an organization whose name I'm going to look up right now. I think it's To The Stars. Yes, you're right. To The Stars Academy. And it's a public benefit corporation and think tank between entertainment, science, and aerospace to advance human knowledge and support next-generation technology i.e. they are looking for aliens. And he brings his fame to it. But all of those Blink-182 people? <laughs> now is they're it? all ufologists? No, just him. <laughs> just him. Did they do that song with the nurse? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember which song that was, but it was like the nurse on the cover of the All album. the small things. Yeah. Burp, 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 burp. I don't know the words to songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was pretty much it, Liz. Wow. You're a um, Blink 182ologist. <laughs> Obviously. Yes. Okay, so he and his organization um, have always been talking about like UFOs, or and they don't even call them UFOs, they call them something else. Aerial threats or some bullshit. Mm, um, there's a different name for it that people are using, like yeah. AP something. Yeah. And so he and his organization say that they have objects. They have actually recovered objects made out of materials that are unknown to man. And the U.S. government has said that the recordings that have come out in the summer that have been going around the internet of naval pilots with something weird on their radar, and it's got two naval pilots speaking to each other saying, man, what the fuck is that? The U.S. government has said that those recordings are real. So his organization and all the other UFO people are like losing their shit. So that that came out in the summer. So your friend there, summer twenty nineteen. Yes. So that so your okay. friend was was referring to that. So did so they s- they're not legitimizing extraterrestrials, but they're legitimate. They're saying those videos are real. Okay. Mm-hmm. And did you watch the videos? I did. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it doesn't also mean that much to me. I'm just seeing like a black dot on the screen and hearing these two like. Holy yeah. shit, dude, you see that? Is that a drone? It's a drone. No, it's not a fucking drone. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> In one of them, the object, I don't remember which, there's like three of them, right? And mm-hmm. they all look very similar because it's like the official aircraft camera. Yeah, so the, the videos it's are hard like, to tell it apart. It looks like a military, it looks like a video game. Yeah. But um, the object, like, they, it follows them, like it flies directly, I think it's like below them. Maybe. I couldn't tell. Yeah. I don't know. But it doesn't move from... But it's following their trajectory, and then it... Pshoom, 
zooms off to the side and you can see it in the video and it is insane like no airplane could do that oh i didn't see that could a drone i didn't see that video that one i saw a different one there's three there's three different ones yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so the government has said that those are real right whatever that means well okay i have ufo stories and then i have alien stories i'd love to hear both okay no problem (laughs) okay (laughs) so the first one i was a baby Mm-hmm. And we lived in this house on McCarthy Road for like a year, f- from when I was like six months to like a year and a half. No photos, no videos in this house. No way of me knowing what it looks like. But I had this memory growing up. I always remembered it. And when I was 10-ish, I think was the first time I actually talked to my mom. And I was like, yeah, when I was a baby, when those aliens came. And they like, I was in it. And she was like, whatever. And I was like, I'm in my room. I'm looking through crib bars. There's a changing table right here. There's a window behind me, another window here, and then a dresser. And a door directly in front of me. Two beings come in. They pick me up out of the fucking crib, bring me down a rolling staircase. And then there's this kitchen, and it's kind of dark. But remember those stoves that had the, like, fluorescent light just along, like, right above where you cook? Yeah. And so that was blinking, and it was kind of bluish light. And then they laid me down on an island, and I looked up at them. And they kind of looked like Spider-Man in the way that, like, their features weren't, like, really sculpted. Like, it was just very, like, that. I don't remember any eyes whatsoever. But it wasn't this, like, big head. It was just, like, you know, maybe a little bigger. But, like, again, like like a Spider-Man mask was over it. So there was no, like, chiseled features. Mm. And they were glow-in-the-dark. They were glowing. (laughs) And I remembered the walls were peach, and it was dark wood. There were cups. I remember the cups that were there. There were peach cups, all all these fucking coffee cups and plates, like, beside the sink. And anyway, I described the whole thing, and I was like, yeah, that's our house. That's really weird. Yeah, that blink like that. That's really weird. Huh. And, like, we look everywhere. We can't find any photos of nothing. And then, oh, no, so I told her before I was 10. I told her when I was, like, 5 or 6. And then when we lived in Canada, they came back. And I was scared, and I felt like they were always going to come back when I was a kid. And then I told my mom, and my parents were super strict and, like, old school. Like, we can't let the kids sleep in the bed with us, you know. So she'd make you sleep on the floor beside her bed when you were scared. (laughs) And she'd, like, hold your hand. But then it would get limp, and she wasn't protecting you. And their door opened, and they walk in, and that's the end of the memory. Like, it just cuts off, and then the next day I was like, what the hell? Like, blackout. Whoa, that's, that's pretty crazy. It's That's really intense. That's frightening. Did she feel like they were going to do bad things to her? Um, I don't know. It didn't sound like she was so crazy scared of them. Yeah, it doesn't sound like she was either. Um, because aliens, you always hear these alien stories like that, and they're they're often negative, mm-hmm. right? Like there's like negative intent. We're gonna steal you away and probe you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And occasionally they're not. Like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, it's on Netflix, I think, right now. It is bizarre. I mean, it's from like nineteen seventy nine or something and who's in it who does richard it richard dreyfus oh or dreyfus however you want to say it you um say dreyfus. i said dreyfus and so it's about a group of people who are drawn to a structure and i think the actual structure where they did the filming is somewhere in the southwest desert um like in arizona or something they're drawn to the structure and then basically like an alien ship comes down the the end of the movie is this giant alien ship arrives 
and all these people who have been um, missing for years, some of them like World War II pilots, come out of the ship. Whoa. And then this like giant being welcomes all these other people who have been drawn there and takes them onto their ship with them. And Richard Dreyfus goes on the ship and leaves. And that's it. That's mm-hmm. the end. And a contemporary reading of this is he's a father with a wife and children, and he just leaves them alone. By. <laughs> he just leaves them. But yeah, uh, yeah it's a pretty crazy movie. What a shithead. Bum, 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 bum. Have you ever I heard that? I don't watch that. Do you know what that? Uh, no. It's, uh, it's an, the aliens are communicating with the people through sound. And so when the alien ship arrives, yeah. it starts to go... Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. It's really beautiful the wow. way they combined um, lights and sound at the end of the film. There's the one part where they start doing that, and there's all this like synthesizer it gets shit. Into some, like crazy flute. Yeah. Well, no, it's just like these kind of like unconnected noises. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, and then there's one where the sound's so loud that the alien ship produces, it breaks a bunch of windows. Whoa. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. Watch that. Mm-hmm. So I've always been really into aliens and I've always been like, like I look at the clouds all the time and I'm like, there's one. Like, you just got to look up, people. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> but we've seen since we've moved here, we've seen some shit too. What have you seen? Especially sitting on the porch with my mom. At one point, we saw three stars. My mom's got this star app, but it also shows you where all of the um, satellites and stuff are. But it was just these lights that were blinking, and one was above a tree straight ahead of us, but probably actually a a kilometer away. And then one above it, really high up, and then one above my barn on the other side. And they would blink like white and then red and then green. And it would be either like white, red, white, red, white, green. Green, white, red. There was no pattern. They would go really fast and really slow. And and they were there. And on the app, we were like, there's nothing there. There's no satellite. There's no star. Like, what are those? And they stayed for like 40 minutes. And we were looking in the... I have these really awesome binoculars that are like for those stars and stuff. And it just looked like lights, like drones almost. It was really weird. And then one of them disappeared. And then a couple hours later, the other one disappeared. And then maybe another hour later, the last one over the barn went away. But they like the stars were moving and <laughs> things were staying there. And we were like, who are you? And my mom's like waving at them and stuff. <laughs> it was crazy. Bum, 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 bum. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I never noticed stuff like that. I yeah, th- that's the I, thing. I walk through my life kind of oblivious to things around me like that, which is kind of a shame. So I think it's really cool that someone's paid attention. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I can't say that I've seen any strange lights in the sky that I noticed anyway. Oh, and if I did, I because I don't know anything about star maps or anything, I would just look up and be like satellite, whatever airplane. I don't know. One of the podcasts that I've been listening, so I've been listening to all of these podcasts about UFOs the last few days, and one of them, the host speaks with an you know experty guy about what isn't a ufo like he sort of does a series it's the nighttime podcast he does a series all about ufos and each episode he kind of like focuses on a different aspect and so the second episode he sort of he says okay well most of the reports of ufo sightings can be disproven so let's talk about what isn't a ufo and like people see planets all the time and right um fucking i 
satellites, going airplanes, weather balloons. weather balloons. Weather balloons is like the thing. And I'm like, what's a weather balloon? Yeah, what is a weather What balloon? even is a weather balloon? Right in. <laughs> I was watching Apollo 11 last week. Wait, Apollo 13? What's the one with Tom Hanks? Apollo 13. It's I Apollo think. 13, yeah. And um, I was noting how when they finally get into space after the launch they just kind of discharge all of this stuff and it just floats off into space. Right. And Earth is surrounded by garbage, right? That, right. that we've just kind of been like, eh, just leave it in space. And it's just like, is orbiting around the planet. We're terrible. Yeah. We're just like, like if this, if, if aliens are real and they're looking at us as though we're a children's drawing, we would be like a little circle with like smog around us and a smokestack. <laughs> smoggy, smoggy, dirt and oily, stinky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think maybe my point was that there's so much out there that can be mistaken for unidentified flying objects. By the way, the other term that ufologists use is UAP, which is unidentified aerial phenomena. Unidentified aerial phenomena. And then... I was just watching a clip from the Joe Rogan experience. Mm -hmm. That man's a monster, but he has some interesting guests. Uh, I take it back. Joe Rogan's not a monster, but I don't like him at all. (laughs) (laughs) And Tom LeJong or whatever the fuck his name is. DeLong. DeLong. Tom DeLong. He was saying that... Ding-a-ling-a-ding-dong. He called them... (laughs) (laughs) Fucking (laughs) non-sequitur. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was saying that he used the word threat. I think unidentified aerial threat. Oh. And then I didn't keep watching it because we had to come up here to record. And Joe Rogan was like, why are you using the word threat? And then he said, oh, you're zeroing in on the one word I didn't want to get into. And Joe Rogan was like, why did you say it, Blink-182 front man? Right? So then Joe Rogan was like, well, what, what, what do you mean threat? Anyway, so... Go listen to that episode of Joe Rogan's podcast, I guess, if you want to have your mind poisoned by a terrible conservative. Let's listen. Are we going to listen to Laura? Let's I'm really ex- to I'm so excited to listen Dr. to Laura. Laura Thursby. I'm really excited. It was a different type of episode this week because I have a full-time job now, so I'm not as available. And so Melody interviewed this person on the phone, and now I'm going to listen to it and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So, hey, Laura. Hey. Let's get started. Alrighty. When did you first become interested in UFOs and extraterrestrials? Were you abducted as a baby? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had better stories because everybody's like, what's your UFO story or what's your experience? And all of mine are secondhand stories, but they're stories from people that I know pretty well uh, and people who've told me these kinds of bizarre things they've seen in the sky, whether it's a UFO story or a weird ghost story or some kind of paranormal encounter. I know so many people uh, from all different walks of life who've had these very strange experiences happen to them. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm searching too hard and I haven't had my own encounter, uh, but I'm always interested in the stories that other people have told me. And so that kind of helps guide my interest. So I don't think there's like a defining moment, but like I'm a 90s kid. So I I grew up in the 90s. I was surrounded by all of these alien films, blockbuster films, television programs, the X-Files. Yes. uh, Every tabloid (laughs) or book cover that I remember seeing would be like that 
dark alien eyes staring back at you. So I remember when we got our first computer, Windows 95, so I probably was seven or eight years old. I remember (laughs) my mother came home and uh, my dad had it all set up. And the very first thing I remember us doing on that computer was looking up the War of the Worlds broadcast and my dad found it online and we were <gasps> yes. we sat around kind of like a the family would sit around an old radio set listening to this broadcast and I just remember thinking wow it was I thought it was terrifying just this idea that there could be otherworldly creatures that could come and invade us at any moment uh, and so these kind mm. of science fiction stories are just They've always fascinated me. Even uh, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't realize that was a comedy. And watching it back, I'm like, oh, this is actually hilarious and meant to be funny. I was like scared out of my mind watching that. (laughs) I was just like, what are these aliens with these big inflated heads and these giant veiny brains? And I couldn't sleep that night (laughs) after I watched it. They're ray guns blasting everyone. So... I think just growing up surrounded by all of these really fun, um, popular culture artifacts, I just always kind of gravitated towards those stories. X-Files was kind of cool because if it was on at my house, I would sneak downstairs and try to catch a glimpse of it. And it was like this kind of adult world, this kind of secret world that my mom would catch me and say, get back to bed. But it was really a glimpse into that secret world and these secret stories. And I, I just found it really captivating whenever it, it came on. And the music, too, it's just like it catches you right in. Oh, it's so iconic. Yeah. <laughs> and it just is so eerie. <laughs> So do you think the 90s was like a alien heyday? Um, I feel like there was more. All of that science science fiction stuff was pretty fucking big when we were growing up. All the alien stuff. I think it was. I remember, I mean, the alien stuff has always been huge, right? Like Men in Black. And I didn't realize that the movies with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones called mm-hmm. Men in Black yeah. were actually based on these stories that people would tell who had been they had seen aliens Mm -hmm. and then some g-men like government men in black suits and dark hats and and dark clothes would come and talk to them about it right and then they would disappear or their memories would disappear or whatever and those people were called men in black right and that's where they got the title for the movie which i didn't realize and so men in black gark mentioned in x-files episodes right so I mean, I don't know if there's more stuff because there were lots of like alien science fiction movies made in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like uh, The the Earth Stood Still and also um, War of the Worlds. Like right, the, the original right. broadcast is great. There's also a 1970s musical version that I'd also heard. Mm-hmm. And there's a part in one of the <laughs> one of the like choruses is the chances of anything coming from Mars were a million to one, they said. and um but one of my high school teachers said in the so and i was in high school in the 90s is that he feels that american movies were turning to aliens as the new enemy Mm. because the americans were the top like global superpower and there was no one left to fight oh in movies like in popular culture so that that's why aliens like independence day and things like that 
Interesting. But I think it's always been popular, like 1979, Alien, the movie Alien with Sigourney Weaver came out. Right. You know? And we've already talked about this. Get away from her, you bitch! Well, that was actually Aliens. Oh, my bad. The second one. But that's okay. so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That was the second one. But the first one came out in 1979, so... I think that the 90s were. I think the X-Files was so effing huge. People were yes, obsessed. I was, I was obsessed. obsessed. The other one that I used to watch, I don't know if it was Canadian. Outer Limits? Outer Limits. Was that a Canadian show? I don't show? know, but it was always on after the X-Files. I never watched yeah. it. JM loved it. I liked it. It might have been a Canadian show. I remember on more than one occasion going to sleep and there, looking out my bedroom window, which was like above my bed. It was kind of high in the wall, but standing on my bed, looking out the window and seeing like a really bright star and being like, oh my God, they're going <laughs> to see me. And then I'd go down in my blankets and cover myself up so that only my nose <laughs> and mouth were out of the blanket so that they couldn't possibly see me sleeping in my bed when they came and landed on the earth. Oh my God. Well... <laughs> that's adorable i saw the movie it was sweaty <laughs> i'm sure it was <laughs> i saw the movie fire in the sky with db sweeney and robert patrick when i was a kid and that scared the shit out of me fire in the sky fire in the sky it's about this man who, based on a true story based on a true story who's who who claims to have been abducted by aliens and he basically has like ptsd afterwards mm-hmm. and no one believes him and the alien abduction is definitely seen as negative and fright and they depict it as very frightening and i could not sleep for weeks after that right and then i'm this is my last one of like scary aliens there's a really great episode of star trek next generation where members of the enterprise crew are being abducted in the night and then brought back and how can they be abducted by aliens when they're on a spaceship Right. And so it's essentially an alien abduction story, but you find out that the aliens who are abducting them are from, are beings from another dimension. Oh. And, but it's very similar. Like Dr. Crusher is like reading Commander Riker's vital signs and she says, my God, what is this? And he says, what is it? And then she says, your arm has been detached and then reattached. So like they were, (laughs) they were like doing experiments on them while they were abducted. Oh, boy. Um, And so then there's this really great scene where everyone on the Enterprise who had been, who had lost time, has to describe what they can remember from the time they lost time. Oh, God, it's so great. They're in the holodeck, and they're trying to, like, recreate a table with a light above it, which is what they can all remember from their time away. Oh, they're doing, like, a regression therapy kind yes, of thing? Yes, with, oh, wow. with Counselor Troy. And it's amazing. And Jordy LaForge, played by LeVar Burton, love says there was a sound in the background there was a sound clicking i think and then Worf is there too because he had lost time and he says more clicking more clicking so they're like they can hear this clicking in the background and it turns out that's the alien's language and then at the end of that scene one of the people who's been abducted says i've been in this room before and then Riker says we've all been here before (laughs) it's a really great scene so that see that episode of tng and just basically like fire in the sky and the X-Files scared me so badly that I've always seen aliens as, like, negative. Right. They're going to come and kill us. Let's keep listening to what Laura has to say. Well, what does your research focus on? Well, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, made I, I, I admit I wasn't able to get through the whole dissertation before today. My parents um, still haven't read it. <laughs> so, nobody yeah, will. No, I Don't mean, it's, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, like mom are you gonna look at that like it's just collecting dust on the shelf now so six years of my life mom. i know i know 
I even acknowledged you. Like you're my <laughs> I dedicated this to you. You better read it soon. <laughs> Had a year. <laughs> yeah. So um I think if I could summarize it up, uh, my whole approach was why these stories are so meaningful and why do people find them so enticing and so believable? So stories about, I, I look more specifically, not at extraterrestrials as a possibility of there being aliens on other planets, but specifically stories of aliens coming to Earth and interacting in some way uh, with human beings, whether that's showing up in the sky and us catching a glimpse of a UFO and attributing it to being an, an alien spacecraft or whether it's people who've actually claimed to encounter alien beings in their own experiences. Uh, so really that's what I'm looking at is why those stories are so compelling, why they're so meaningful and really why they're able to exist uh, in a culture that is very much prioritizing of the kind of modern, rational, empirical philosophy where we privilege knowledge that is only rational knowledge or uh, knowledge that has to be backed up by science and this kind of thing. How do these stories not only exist, but they seem to thrive and, and persist, even though our official institutions, the government, the academic institutions, the scientific establishment, even though they tend to dismiss these stories and denigrate them, why do they still appeal and why do people still keep telling these stories? What meanings do they have for people? So that's a really interesting way of approaching it. So she's not tackling real or not real because that would be real difficult. She's kind of just looking at the cultural significance of them and why people mm -hmm. are so into it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. keep to keep talking about it. Yeah. Nate. Also, I didn't mean no one will read her dissertation. I mean, no one will read anyone's dissertation. No one will read anyone's dissertation. My parents haven't read my master's thesis, and I'm sure they never will. And that's just fine. <laughs> oh, Liz. We should have a reading party where you have a bunch of people over, and then you just stand at the front of the room and read your dissertation. It'll oh, be really fun. What a snore fest. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are there elements of these stories that have remained pretty consistent over time? Yeah, one thing that I kind of find interesting is we need to step back and we need to realize for all of human history, since we have written history, people have been seeing weird things in the sky. People have been having strange encounters with anomalous beings. And this is something that's happened throughout our recorded history. Uh, these kinds of stories span the whole complexity of our, our human existence. And so I think it's kind of interesting to think about how our stories about aliens fit into this like much more extensive and really deep history of uh, encounters with the, the strange or the otherworldly or the unknown. Even like we have stories about gods and angels and demons and the kind of stories that we have about them or, or in some cultures we have stories about fairies or other kinds of trickster beings. Those kinds of patterns come up again in these stories about aliens. There's 
I'm trying to remember the author's name, but there's this author who compares stories of fairies with stories about aliens. And there's so many overlapping elements to this kind of trickster being that is interested in human bodies and kind of tries to uh, distort our time and our understandings, the kind of tropes that come up in alien abduction stories. Uh, and so there's a lot mm. of consistency, um, sleep paralysis or other kinds of cultural phenomena that are that are linked to like something like sleep paralysis, yeah. old hag stories where somebody fe- wakes up and has this strange being sitting on their, their chest. A lot of those stories sound an awful lot like an alien abduction. So there's a lot of consistency in, in these kinds of, of stories with strange beings. I listen to this um, podcast called Lore sometimes with Aaron yeah. Mankey. Okay. Um, he's like a podcast superstar. Oh, yeah. He's on something else that I listen to sometimes. I can't remember what. He's about, he's just on another podcast called, um, uh, something about the Salem witch trials, which I'm obsessed with. Unobscured. So I'm going to read that. Oh, yeah. I think that. that that is That's on a, my list. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet, though. So he does all sorts of stuff on lore and he did one on fairies, like Irish fairies. And yeah. you know, I always think of fairies as like, fairies like in fairy tales like tinkerbell like tinkerbell yeah benevolent nice magic spells for good but the irish the like ancient irish way of uh, looking at fairies is like like mischief makers and people who will like steal children and replace them with changelings you know like they're like bad so if a kid gets sick they would say oh the fairies replaced you with a changeling you know watch out for the fairies so they're like quite dark yeah (laughs) more like the fairies in Pan's Labyrinth. I haven't seen it. Oh God! Wait, it, wait! It, you're gonna just cry yourself. Oh God! It's so sad. It's oh. the saddest but most mystical magical movie ever, and I sobbed hysterically. Really? Oh yeah. I should watch it with Chris next date night. Let's <laughs> cry. It's pretty dark. Like I saw it. It's old now because I saw it in university. I saw it with yeah. two of my friends from my undergrad, and I saw it at the Yorkville movie theater. And I had I exited through Holt Renfrew for some reason. There's like a movie okay. theater in there, yeah. and then all three of us walked out through Holt Renfrew crying. All three of us. Oh wow! All <laughs> it was so sad. <laughs> Do you remember the show? Or are you familiar with the show from the late '90s, Roswell? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Catherine Heigl and. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the beautiful alien. Yeah. Yes. So I was going to say, are hot hormonal teenagers a <laughs> common form that aliens can take? You <laughs> or... know. <laughs> Wait. Was the show Roswell? I never watched it. Was the show Roswell? Aliens landed at Roswell and they took the form of teenagers and just went to high school. Yes. And they had like <laughs> magical powers. What could they do? Max. Who, in my opinion, was, well, there were two kind of, like, hot ones that were boys. The girls were, like, all hot, as, you know, most TV shows. Anyway, Max, I don't remember the other guy's name, but Max, he was kind of, like, uh, bookish. Bookish is the word I'm looking for. He had brown hair, brown eyes, and Max had, like, healing powers. So this waitress at the local alien-themed cafe. Right. I forget the name of it. Her name was Liz. And Ooh. Liz and Max sort of fell in love, but it all started with her being like shot while she was working. Something happened and she got shot America. and then he healed her. And so then they had this like crazy connection in high school. And then she knew that he and his friends were aliens and blah, blah, blah. Fascinating. And they're totally like, I, well, you know, I don't know if they were actually doing it or if they just really wanted to. 
Oh. I can't remember. That's so teenage drama. Mm-hmm. It came on on the WB on Wednesday nights after Dawson's Creek. So at the time, I was at a boarding school, and there was a TV room in the basement of the dorm, and like fucking a million girls would pile <laughs> down there to watch Dawson's <laughs> Creek every Wednesday night, and I would always stay with like maybe five other girls and watch Roswell. Really? That's I don't hilarious. know. I must have stayed up late to do my homework on Wednesdays. You were such a good student. Oh, there's so much homework. Barf. (laughs) (laughs) What a better story for, like, popular culture than uh, the sexy, beautiful alien. Yeah. Um, But but actually, if we look back on, like, the traditions of these alien stories, some of the earliest alien encounters were contactee stories. And so the contactees, they kind of came at the alien from an understanding that they are these very friendly benevolent space brothers usually they were men but space sometimes brothers. sisters uh, <laughs> who were here to offer us salvation basically by alerting us to the fact that human beings are going to destroy our planet we didn't need aliens to tell us that <laughs> through various means and they were very concerned about the environment and the n- nuclear destruction of our world Uh, But these aliens were very much described as beautiful humans from kind of a cultural standpoint of the Aryan race uh, of the blonde, blue-eyed, pale man. And so that's kind of how a lot of these early stories described aliens. And uh, there's some interesting racial connotations that that evokes in the way that they chose these alien saviors to look uh, a very specific or very white way. Yeah. And and so it's kind of interesting how that story of these like beautiful aliens uh, comes up again and and again in our our popular culture. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't realize that there actually would be that sort of. Yeah, neither did I. (laughs) (laughs) I was just making a joke. (laughs) I thought it was all like scary bughead aliens. Yeah, yeah, I, I literally just thought I was like making a joke, but turns out, <laughs> turns out you weren't. I was. Turns not. out you're a genius. You're a doctor, basically. Yeah, I'm basically a doctor. You're a doctor. Yeah, I'm. I'm Laura's colleague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not to um, belittle your six years of hard work you put into your PhD, Laura. <laughs> On the topic of Roswell, can you tell us about the actual Roswell? It's in oh, New Mexico, can I, right? Can I ever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so not to be confused with Area 51, where I'm <laughs> so sad that I did not get to go down and raid it with everybody. Um, Hang on. I'm pausing it. What she's talking about there, because I just heard on another podcast, Reply All, their most... <sighs> fuck. I mean, when this comes out, it won't probably won't be their most recent episode. But on a recent episode... We're talking fall 2019. They did one of their yes, yes, no segments. Have you ever listened to it? Mm -mm. Okay. So their boss, Alex Bloomberg, Alex Bloomberg comes to them and says, like, here's this tweet from the internet I don't understand. And then they explain all of the like layers of this funny tweet and why it's funny. (laughs) Because he's old. It's not always tweets, but I've heard a couple about kind of obscure reference tweets. So, this guy who is like pretty young in his 20s he basically as a joke went online and was like they can't stop all of us like let's all go to area 51 and raid it and see what's in there and he was joking 
but a whole bunch of people like jumped on and were like, fuck yeah, let's do this shit. And so all of these people joined his page about going to Area 51 and raiding it. And on the day that it was all supposed to happen, uh-huh. thousands of people didn't show up who said they would. Uh-huh. Uh, but some people did show up and they're like, can we go uh, have a look in there? And they and- just let them go in? No, I'm pretty sure they said no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe that's what Laura's talking about. Oh, I was like, did they let them go in? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so what is Area 51? So Area 51's in Nevada. It's okay. just outside of a little town called Rachel, Nevada. And it's a top secret military base. Okay. And it wasn't revealed until the early 2000s that, yes, it was, in fact, a military base, even though there there was speculation about it being this this secret place for, for decades before then. So Roswell is the site of uh, an infamous UFO crash that happened in the 1940s, in 1947. And interestingly, or I think it's kind of interesting, is that this this actual crash didn't even happen in Roswell. When I was there, I drove out to what was kind of the general area of the crash site. And it's about like two hours away from, oh, from wow. Roswell. <laughs> uh, so we, we all know it as Roswell, but it's, uh, it's not quite. <laughs> but what happened was there was this strange debris that landed on a a rancher's property just outside of Roswell. And this guy, his name was Mac Brazel. And he found this debris while uh, walking through his his field. And so he, he uh, held on to it for a little bit and then decided that there was something strange about it. In the 40s, it was, it was a really kind of popular time for stories about strange alien beings Uh, so he heard about this and he thought oh well this material doesn't look like anything i've seen before Uh, so he packed it up and drove it to the roswell army airfield Uh, so that's that was the military base in in roswell okay Uh, so he brought it there and (laughs) when he brought it there one of the intelligence officers that worked there wrote a press release and in that press release it said that the roswell army airfield captures a flying saucer on a ranch in the roswell region uh, <laughs> so everybody's like a flying saucer aliens oh my god uh so it was this crazy story the press release went out like across the world uh, media picked it up all over the united states a few international media picked it up uh, and then the next day, the more senior person at the the RAF or the Roswell Army Airfield came out and said, oh my God, no, no, this was a misunderstanding. Uh, that debris that was found on the rancher's property was not a UFO or not a flying saucer. It was a weather balloon. <laughs> weather balloons. Are those things even real? Right. And so <laughs> he took a picture of this weather balloon with another military intelligence officer uh, whose name is Jesse Marcel. And it's like this foil-like debris that allegedly was recovered from the crash site. And then that was published in newspapers across the, the United States. And so the story after that kind of disappeared. It faded from attention for about 30 years. Uh, so it wasn't until late 1970s that famous ufologist Stanton Friedman, who uh, passed away just recently and lived in New Brunswick, actually, for the last 
many years of his life. But he was a nuclear physicist who completed his Master of Science in Nuclear Physics. And uh, he kind of stumbled on this case. Uh, He was talking about UFOs and came across someone who hinted him off that he should interview that intelligence officer, Jesse Marcel, who was photographed at the debris. And so he did. And then Marcel told him this story that the military had actually lied, that this was all a big cover-up. And so Friedman and others, uh, Bill Moore and Charles Berlitz, kind of came together and they, they wrote a book describing the alternative account that this was all a conspiracy. They did uncover aliens and alien spacecraft and then they covered it up and swept it all away and, and lied to us. And so a lot of that was based on Jesse Marcel's testimony. So that's kind of how it started. And then from there, it kind of snowballed out. Um, So there's been like many, 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 many other books written about the Roswell incident. Uh, New witnesses have come forward. Timelines have changed. Uh, The crash site location, no one can say where it actually is because everyone has a different theory of where it was. The original stories just said that a strange flying saucer was found. Uh, Later, stories were added that alien bodies were discovered and that all of these things that were, were uncovered, it was suggested they were either brought to Area 51 or that it was brought to another military base somewhere in the United States. So From, from Roswell? From Roswell, yeah. Oh. So that they covered it up, they brought it elsewhere to study and test it. Um, Netflix has a new documentary, I, for lack of a better word, documentary mm-hmm. uh, on a fellow named Bob Lazar who came forward and said that he was one of the people working at Area 51 as a scientist and an engineer and that he worked on reverse engineering uh, material from that, that alien spacecraft, that he was never able to provide concrete proof of the facility's connections to extraterrestrials. And uh, it was shown that he lied about his university credentials or they, they claimed that he had no degrees from them. His point was that the government wiped all of his credentials <laughs> clean as part of an effort to discredit him and the, the story about aliens. So it kind of gets caught up in these like he said, she said difficult ways to get at the truth. But after that, um, it really picked up in popular culture. Other developments happened. Stanton Friedman and others came across these files that were put in their mailbox about uh, the MJ-12 or Majestic 12 papers, which suggested that the government was aware of this UFO and was studying it. But whether or not those are forgeries or real documents has been quite contested, even within the UFO community itself. So all of this basically just kept precipitating. Unsolved Mystery was like huge in bringing this out to to the public. The X-Files talks about Roswell. Independence Day started talking about Roswell. Alien Autopsy, I don't know if you remember that. Factor Fiction was released and it was like supposed found footage of alien bodies that were uncovered in Roswell that later turned out to be a hoax. Uh, but this really helped like captivate the public's attention in Roswell. And the story just spread from there. It was like wildfire. And with that, the thing I think is 
the most interesting is that as public attention in this story grew, uh, and the fact that the government really did change the nature of its story about the debris from first saying it was a flying saucer to then saying it was a weather balloon kind of suggested something more was going on than meets the eye. Right. Uh, Yeah. So uh, a congressman from New Mexico actually petitioned the government to conduct an investigation of what really happened in Roswell. So the, the, the Air Force ended up in, I think, 1995, around 1995, uh, an Air Fo- Force report. It was like a thousand page report admitting that they lied about the debris that was uncovered in Roswell. Uh, they said, no, we did cover something up. It wasn't a weather balloon. Yeah, so the government actually admitted that they lied, but they said what it was 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 actually the wreckage of a device codenamed Project Mogul, uh, which was a balloon-borne radar reflector that was designed to detect Soviet nuclear tests. And in the context of the Cold War going on at this time, or just kind of starting up, they were trying to conduct espionage and surveillance against the Soviet enemies. And so this story was corroborated by uh, Charles Moore, who was a physicist and meteorologist and engineer who had worked on that project. So I think the government expected, okay, okay, this is out there. Now this whole story is going to die down. And as we know, it it didn't. Sure didn't. (laughs) We're still talking about it. I think the (laughs) fact that this story came forward and they admitted to lying, it raised further questions that, oh my God, the government's still probably lying to us. And we have to remember too, the story reached its peak in the early 1980s and then into the 90s. And Stanton Friedman, one of the main proponents of of the Roswell conspiracy theory, even called it the cosmic Watergate. Uh, kind of drawing on that connection of, oh, our government can't be trusted. Look what they did with Watergate. Look at all these other horrible things that they've done. So is it really much of a leap to believe that they're covering up this story about aliens? They told us it was flying saucers at first, and then they now they're lying to us. So it's it's kind of interesting that the the story just kept growing still from there. Uh, and they released another report. And this one, uh, I love the title. It was called Roswell Case Closed. Uh, they gave it their best. <laughs> and that was the, the next Air Force report. And that'll no, put the, it to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, if we sound <laughs> forceful enough, okay. Yeah, no, no one cares anymore. Case closed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, In that second report, they started talking about that those bodies might have been crash test dummies that people remembered seeing because they would drop them out of airplanes to see the impacts that the crash would have and and those sorts of things on on a test dummy. And so they said, oh, maybe people are misremembering this event and conflating it with what happened in 1947. And now they're thinking they saw alien bodies in the wreckage. And and they just kept making these explanations that just sounded ridiculous. So Uh, can I just go back to the very beginning for one second? Sure. Yeah. The farmer. So you said the farmer found Mm. some like weird debris. Yes. And then the government came back and said that it was a flying saucer, but did he see a flying saucer or did they he go- just, yeah, he just found like strange stuff crashed on his property. 
Okay. And um, then that turned into a flying saucer, which they then retracted. And now we're back. Yeah. To <laughs> and a few other people later on after the story kind of came out said, oh, yeah, we saw something in the sky and we couldn't explain what it was. And so all of these kind of witness testimonies start okay. to kind of come forward. But whether or not they are influenced in certain ways by the accounts and the stories that are being given uh, is kind of a challenge to interpret. And I, I think that's something that fuels a lot into whether we can take these stories seriously or not. Um, a lot of it falls on the stories told by witnesses. Hilarious. Not hilarious. It's like an accident. It's like one inexperienced communications officer wrote a press release saying, flying saucer. And then the the American government was like, no, it's not just kidding. And it just spawned that. That's crazy. We talked about it a little bit before, but from what I've heard, so much of it is based on credibility, right? So one of the most important parts of doing an investigation into a UFO sighting when they investigate it is to call the person and actually talk to them. Right. And once they deem that person credible then they investigate. It's subjective, right? It's, it's very this, subjective. It's one person who goes out and interviews that person and says, yep, I believe them. Yeah, basically, do they believe that this person is being truthful, that they saw this thing or believe they saw this thing? Do you think that person was a nut? Yeah, it's actually like literally part of the investigative process at these different <laughs> groups. I'm just looking up the places where you can report UFO sightings. MUFON, that's the one. So MUFON. on the nighttime podcast, one of the entire episodes, he's talking to someone who works at MUFON. The Mutual UFO Network is a US-based nonprofit organization composed of civilian volunteers who study alleged UFO sightings. MUFON.com volunteers and the guy who he interviews on the show does say like obviously most of these are disproven pretty quickly but there are some that aren't right you know? right should we go on yes yes we should i wanted to ask this is actually liz's question she was wondering if you have any thoughts on why ufos and aliens are conflated with the cold war and the soviet union in popular culture like yeah. how that all came to be specifically she was thinking of the x-files and stranger things oh stranger said, things i love it uh so really these stories came out i would say um they were very much fueled by the Cold War context. So even like talking about Roswell, that whole thing came up, I think, because of the Cold War. The, that's why these projects started happening was because the government was interested in studying UFOs out of concern that it was the Soviets. But when it comes to like alien encounters, um, I briefly talked about like the contactee subculture mm -hmm. uh, of UFOs. And this kind of strain of stories very much is shaped by that Cold War climate. And really, we can't understand their stories apart from the anxieties that the atomic bomb and nuclear weaponry brought to our world. Uh, so again, they saw aliens as like these friendly gods that were coming to tell us that we were going to destroy the planet. And this was a time when American foreign policy could get someone blacklisted or labeled a communist if they were critical of American foreign policy. So saying that nuclear weaponry was destructive and dangerous was something that, that could get you labeled as a subversive and, and blacklisted. But the contactees were able to disguise in some way their criticisms of the nuclear uh, technology and the atomic bomb 
whether consciously or not, using aliens to deliver those warnings. And so it was kind of a way to offer a commentary against the Cold War. Uh, And a lot of those who kind of started this tradition had a lot of maybe communist underpinnings to them, which is which is right. interesting that they were maybe a little bit more pro-communist and used the alien to help make their points. So that's kind of one thing that I think really connects well to the Cold War. And I don't think this traditional story would have happened or would have been possible without the fear that this nuclear technology could bring about. The Cold and then they're War. just sort of like married together in our minds. And then yeah, stuff yeah. Out of that. Another thing to the Cold War, it was kind of during this time that the transparency of the government sort of shifted. And the way that the public was able to gain access to information radically transformed throughout the Cold War. So we see kind of the development of a covert state, which really is all about this idea that we entrust our government to protect us and to take care of us. But the consequence of that is that we give up our ability to have access to some government secrets, that they're able to engage in covert activities in order to protect us. And so that was something that came out of the the Cold War uh, and really led to a lot of problems for us in trusting our government. At the same time, we start seeing a bunch of secret government projects Uh, especially in the 70s and 80s and 90s now coming to light and we start seeing that like things like Watergate or today I was talking to my students about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment uh, which was a study uh, conducted by the U.S. government for decades on uh, poor mostly black men who they recruited for their study and didn't offer them treatment for syphilis, even though they lied and said that they were offering them treatment because they wanted to see how the disease spread over time. So there were there were treatments available, but they didn't help them. I mean, the list goes on and on of government stories. And so this, this kind of government that we once believed to be transparent and trustworthy, because of the transformation in the way that the government kept secrets during the Cold War, uh, really helps us think that there's conspiracies going on and there were real conspiracies going on. So mm-hmm. how can we how can we trust the government? Uh, and so the Cold War context really creates that environment where conspiracy theories now can thrive. So basically what she's saying is alien stories in the Cold War and Russia are kind of conflated in the culture. Yeah. Right. That makes sense now. Because Actually, all the secrecy sort yes. of surrounding. As soon as she started talking about it, it made total sense to me. Yeah. Before we sign off, I wanted to ask you just for fun, what's your favorite movie about UFOs or extraterrestrials? Oh, good question. Justine, Mm. who's one of our regular, actually a regular guest and a listener, she wants to know if it's Men in Black 3. (laughs) (laughs) That's hers. (laughs) I feel terrible because I have not yet seen Men in Black 3. (laughs) Well, there are at least three of them, so it's a lot. (laughs) I've seen one and two for sure. I don't know if I saw number three, so maybe I'll try to try to find it i'm too old now every time i watch a movie i fall asleep want, want. oh i understand that <laughs> yeah i think like recent ones and this was kind of contentious because it wasn't like 
super flashy, but I really loved Arrival. I thought Ooh. it was such a yes, a new take on the alien because the kind of alien colonizer stories or the the kind of general tropes that we see recycled again and again in alien movies. Uh, Arrival wasn't really like that. It was kind of more a story about communication and how we can think about communicating with others, whether those others are extraterrestrial or how we can even think of building bridges and gaps across our own kind of cultural and linguistic differences. I just thought it was like this breathtaking and fresh and new take on an alien story so that that one i really liked but most people i've talked to said oh i was it was so boring troglodytes (laughs) no i thought it was great i thought it was definitely great it wasn't flashy and alien explosions and ray guns which i also love don't get me wrong those are wonderful no matter how many times they've been recycled but it just seemed like a very kind of new take on on the alien and uh kind of I think, too, watching it as someone who just spent many years going through to do a a PhD, uh, it was kind of exciting to see it approach from a more academic lens. And I just kind of fangirled over it. (laughs) Yeah, I remember my mom turning me and saying, what the hell just happened? (laughs) So uh, Classic Denis Villeneuve. Then we spent the ride home and then she's like, oh, that's really cool. (laughs) So mom, maybe if you'd read my dissertation. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to make my mom listen to this. (laughs) Do you want to say anything about Arrival? Arrival was great. It was lovely. It was so good. Denis Villeneuve, one of my faves. Oh, that's I love him so much. Yeah, that was Denis Villeneuve. You've talked about him on here before. I love him so much and he's taking a break from making movies mm. and i feel sad and jam said no no we don't want him to get burnt out touche touche jam <laughs> yes uh, but that was a good one. what's it. your favorite alien movie cocoon <gasps> speaking of hot aliens earlier <gasps> do you know that's oh. all it's it's like that is a hot alien that's an alien in a hot bodysuit that like zips off right doesn't her suit doesn't oh my god i can't remember like clothes that she can take off that hot alien lady with the great boobs i don't remember at all i think i saw that once when it came out when i was a kid and that's it oh my god isn't it old people who get taken to space by aliens and it's really happy and nice it is but there's a lot of um should i give you a quick just give me a quick overview quick overview yeah so uh old people they're all like ailing health dementia sore knees the regular stuff. I have, cancer. Sore, I have sore knees and I'm 37. <laughs> well, wait till you're an old folks home. <laughs> oh. Just kidding. Let's not even. <laughs> By then, we'll have bionic knees. Oh, hope so. Um, and we'll be going on fun trips to Mars. Just weekend trips to Mars. The chances of anything coming from Mars was a million to one. So old people they they see that like a neighboring property some mansion there's a pool house and it's like almost like a greenhouse you know it has all glass all the way around and so they sneak in to use the pool and there's like weird giant rocks cocoons in the pool and so they go swimming they're like wow i feel great and they like all of their sickness goes their away. Go away. They get like really super horny and start boning everyone. I mean, they play that down because it's like 80s and it's PG, but like they're right. totally doing it. <laughs> and and it becomes a problem in one of the relationships because the guy's like cheating on his wife because he's all horny and right. feeling. But then they actually suck all of the life out of the alien beings who are sleeping inside of these cocoons. 
and it's like bad news. And then, um, at the end, the aliens take a bunch of them to their planet. They, they're like, we want to go with you and they forgive them and take them. Oh, kind of like the movie you described. There's like at the, uh, an end scene where they all just like go with the aliens. Right. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what happened at uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Anyway, it's a great movie. What's yours? My favorite alien movie. So I do love Mars Attacks. It's fucking hilarious. The noise I was making earlier is the sound of the aliens. In the movie. You know, the, have you seen it? No. Oh, God, it's insane. It's hilarious. Like Jack Nicholson's in it. So many people are in it, but yeah. Um, I love it so much. There's this scene where one of the aliens dresses up like a fancy lady. <laughs> to get into the white house it's <laughs> that's so, all it takes it's so stupid in the 90s anyway you just had to dress real fancy yeah you just had to dress like a fancy lady oh fuck it's really funny anyway um that's a good one jam and i just watched a movie a few months ago i say months it could have been years and it's with the lady from felicity what's yeah. the curly haired lady mm-hmm. i can't remember her name she's Denise in it. something maybe no not Denise. no um uh, carrie something carrie something uh-huh. carrie something but yeah the woman who played felicity in the tv show and now i can't even remember the name of the movie but it was just a random netflix find but it's called like night sky or dark night or black night something like that but it's a scary alien movie and it's about a family of four mom who's Felicity, dad and two young boys. And they are like bothered by aliens. There's one scene where she comes downstairs and there's a, they have a huge wall of family pictures. And when she kind of gestures to her husband and she's like, look, and every picture is missing. It's just gone. And like all sorts of weird shit happens in their house is very eerie. It's really like, it was a really good movie, total sleeper, like probably straight to video Netflix movie, but it was actually pretty good. Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell. The movie is called Dark Skies. But if we're talking about my favorite alien movie ever, it's obviously Aliens with Bill Paxton and Sigourney Weaver. Okay. And we've already talked about that, and we yeah. even quoted him. But Aliens in the vein of Aliens visiting Earth and alien abduction, yeah, I thought this was a great movie. Cool. Yeah. Good, good reco. Thanks. I would say if I could uh, condense my dissertation down to a few words, I would say it really is about storytelling. Uh, storytelling about aliens, why we believe these stories and how they're performed and how they're enacted. It's its really powerful. Our stories are really powerful. They give rise to aliens. It's, it's through those stories that aliens are everywhere. Whether or not they exist or not, I'm not sure, but they certainly do in our world. Yeah. Aliens are everywhere we look. So that's kind of neat that, that our storytelling can do that. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. This is a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot. Okay, bye. bye. That was great. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. That was really fascinating. Can I quickly tell you about Canada's most famous, well-documented UFO case, the Falcon Lake incident? Please do so. And then I'll read you a story about another thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The guy that had this wild experience couldn't say what it was. It was sort of something that happened to him and he couldn't explain it. And he never said it was extraterrestrial. So I just want to put that out there. He never said UFOs. Never. Mm. So his name was Stefan, Stefan, Stephen. I believe in Canada they called him Stephen, but he was from Poland. So it's probably Stefan then. Stefan. Mikalak. Mikalak. 
M-I-C-H-A-L-A-K. So he was an industrial mechanic and an amateur geologist, and he would go into the wilderness around Falcon Lake to prospect for quartz and silver. Um, Where's that? So Falcon Lake is about an hour and a half east of Winnipeg, Manitoba. (laughs) Probably really... Very rural. In the middle of nowhere. So the 1967 May long weekend in Canada, we call that May 2-4. It's Victoria Day. 2-4! To celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday because we are part of the Commonwealth. Such a colonial state we have. So on the May long weekend, he went out to the area to look for rocks and stuff (laughs) because he's into it. On May 20th, he was out there doing his prospecting and was startled by a gaggle of geese, like erupting into noise and flapping around. And (laughs) he looked up. This is the most Canadian story ever. (laughs) (laughs) He looked up. He put down his beaver tail and (laughs) (laughs) took a swig of his Labatt's. Wait, is Labatt's American? No, it's Canadian. Okay, sweet. And then took out his Mickey and drank some of that. (laughs) What's a Mickey for the Americans? Oh, like a fifth or something? It's a small bottle of booze, like liquor. So he looks up and sees two cigar-shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering. He said about 45 meters away, which is 50 yards. One of them went down. And said it became sort of more disc-shaped, so I don't know if it, like, sort of compressed as it landed or something. And the other stayed in the air a few minutes and then flew off. So he thought it was a secret U.S. military craft, and so he sort of hung back and sketched it for a while. So there's some amazing sketches that he drew of it, which we'll put on Instagram. And then he decides to go and take a look. He's thinking maybe they're having mechanical problems. He's a mechanical... Uh, industrial mechanic. Industrial mechanic. Maybe he can help. Engineer. Yes. Also, he's so very he, helpful. Also a Canadian story. Yes. Although he's Polish, but whatever. So he goes and he says, oh, sorry, excuse me. Do you guys need a hand? Well, apparently he called them... He was like, hey, Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> no. He called them Yankees. No. He assumed it was Americans. <laughs> hey, Yankees. <laughs> he calls out to them in English asking if they need some help. And he had been hearing voices. He could hear voices. He could also hear the mechanical whir of the spaceship and sort of the hissing of air. And so the voices were kind of muffled by all of this. But he yells out, the voices stop immediately. Silence. Except for the noises of the ship. Right. So then he calls out in Polish. Just throwing it out there. We are a multicultural country. Nothing. So then German. Apparently he also attempted to talk to them in French and Ukrainian, maybe? Wow, this guy's a polyglot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Europeans. Oh, man, Much more Europeans. civilized than us. They speak, they speak a lot more languages. That's well, true, they do. In terms of linguistics, anyway. So, as he's walking closer and calling out to them, and they're not answering, the air is becoming warmer. It smells of sulfur and, like, sort of burnt electronics. He described it as... The passageway into hell. engine ozone or something, which is some sort of mechanical term that he would know because he was in mechanics. I don't know. Smells bad. (laughs) He notes (laughs) that the exterior of the craft is smooth, so he couldn't see any seams, but it's a metal. The vegetation all around it is scorched. There's a doorway. He he has to put on these goggles, uh, welder's goggles that he brought with him to protect his eyes from chipping rock. So he puts those on because the lights are so bright in the doorway, but he looks through and he can see like arrays of lights, but no life or anything in there. And then these sliding panels close off the door. And then the craft starts turning and he notices what looks almost like a grate. He later concludes that it maybe was some sort of exhaust system, but it's like a grid of holes on the side of it. And he reaches out to touch the craft and it like melts the finger of his glove. Then he feels a blast of hot air or gas and is like thrown backwards. His shirt and hat light on fire. So he like 
rips them off, and then the thing flies off. So he runs through the forest, barfing. Barfing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It made him feel really sick. So he (laughs) barfs in the forest, makes his way back to the hotel. And I guess on the way there, he runs into an RCMP constable guy. Yes, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Probably not actually on a horse, but who knows? This was 1967. (laughs) Oh, he might have been on a horse. Might have been on a horse. Yeah. And the guy thinks maybe he's drunk. He seems really disoriented. The guy thinks he's maybe... Well, he's barfing. Intoxicated, (laughs) but he can't smell booze on him or whatever. So the guy... What's his name? Mikalak? Mikalak. Mikalak. He goes back to the hotel, gets his stuff, gets a bus home to Winnipeg. And when he gets there, he goes to the doctor and gets treated for these burns on his stomach and his chest. Later, the burns developed into raised sores in a grid-like pattern. And for weeks after this incident, he had diarrhea, headaches, blackouts, lost a bunch of weight. According to his son, Stan, until the day he died, he wished he hadn't said anything, but he felt compelled to do so because he didn't want anyone else to get hurt. But nonetheless, the family was harassed. The kids were bullied. They were when he hounded. Came, when he became public, came out publicly with it. Yes, yes. They're hounded by media. People questioned his sanity, but he never backed down from the story. It's a pretty good one. Uh, not one detail changed in all of those years. 300 pages of documentation on the encounter and nothing was shown to be false in his story. They couldn't actually disprove anything he said. Some items were later retrieved from the site, including the glove with the burnt finger, his shirt, which has grid-like burn marks on it. And barf. And some tools and a lot of barf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So all of that stuff was analyzed and no one could say how it was burnt. At the site, there is a 15-foot diameter circle that was devoid of vegetation or moss that was growing everywhere else in the area, and soil samples were tested and shown to be highly radioactive. They actually found metal that had melted into the cracks of the granite or quartz or whatever it was in the area that they got out, and that was highly radioactive. Did he die of cancer? I don't actually know how he died. I don't think it was of cancer. Oh, but like if he got blasted with radioactive, radioactive. That's a song, right? (laughs) I don't know. It is now. (laughs) Um, And he continued to get sick for a couple years afterwards. Um, And actually for years afterwards, apparently this burn would sort of flare up. And even when he died, he still had like scar tissue. What the fuck? That's crazy. So they sent him to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I think we've all seen the Mayo Clinic website. If you look up anything (laughs) medical on the internet, that's where the internet sends you. That or WebMD. They thoroughly tested him and even a psychiatrist or several psychiatrists looked him over. And it seemed that the psychiatrist basically said, like, this guy's not crazy. We don't think he's lying. On one podcast I listened to, they said that the doctors wouldn't release any report on like what was wrong with him for a year or something like it took them a very long time to come to their conclusions. And then they said it was like some kind of dermatitis or something. Mm. And... I mean, that's about what I have on that. There's a lot of information and documents on this at the Canada Libraries and Archives website under Unusual Collections, if you want to go look it up. And I listened to a podcast called Dark Poutine, and they did a really great job covering this. Dark Poutine! Yeah. I heard about that podcast from Karen and Georgia. Our best friends, Karen and Georgia. On My Favorite Murder, and I was really excited because it's Canadian. Dark Poutine is Canadian. It's very, very, very Canadian. And they do things because they have a lot of American listeners. They do things like they'll say like, oh, Mickey. And then they'll be like, oh, Mickey's a fifth. Right. I think a Mickey is a fifth in the States. 
It's just a little bottle of booze that you can fit in your coat pocket. Like a disposable flask. It's like square. And it looks like a disposable it, flask. It is yeah, like a small flask. That's exactly kind of. correct. Yeah. Um, I need but yeah, you, that's about it. That's I need what I have you on people it. to understand what a Mickey is. But you can go on that website and you can look this all up. That's really cool. Now, the fact that it's on the archives website really legitimizes it. But I guess it's the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they have a podcast. Like the, the archives? Canada pod- Libraries and Archives. Has a podcast? have a podcast. And they actually do an episode on this. But I started to listen to it and I was like, I don't know, this is too official sounding. It's going to be boring. So I didn't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And I'm sure that Laura would say that... I don't know. I I don't know what Laura would say about this. What would you say about this, Laura? I I feel like Laura would think that I am just caught up in the fever of it all. And maybe I am, but there's a lot of documentation. She probably would. She'd be like, you know, this is exciting and you're caught up in it. And it's the same as other stories. It's actually not the same as other UFO stories. It's kind of different. I'm caught up in it. I'm I'm like, I believe. I want to believe, Melody. uh, Some of the stuff that I found most compelling was that he was this like blue collar, first generation Polish immigrant. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like a mechanical guy. He was off doing shit in the woods. Like he liked geology. He liked geology. But But it it just didn't seem like he, none of this would have benefited him. And he was like physically sick from it all. And you can't make that up. Like him having diarrhea and barfing. Mm -hmm. You can say you have a headache, I guess, but you can't just have diarrhea. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Did they actually see him having diarrhea or did he just say he had diarrhea? I bet they smelled it. Did they... <laughs> if they lived did, with him. Did they know he was barfing in the woods, or did he just say he was barfing as he <laughs> ran through the woods? Well, as we mentioned, when they went back to investigate, they found a shit ton of barf. <laughs> so <laughs> no, much <I'm> barf. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, there, he, ha- he didn't gain anything from telling the story. In fact, he wished he never had. So that's the part that's always like, huh, right, why would he tell the story? And he never said it was aliens, actually. He right. was like, this fucking crazy thing happened. It was really dangerous. Right. And I am injured and sick. What do you think it was? Right. Like, so he would tell people saying, the story and say, what do you, like, do you have any idea what that would have been? I see. So that makes it even more believable that he's like, I'm not saying this was aliens. All I'm saying is that I saw something and I got hurt and I continued to be sick from it for a long time. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. And then he was unfairly lambasted in the media. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot cook. of people obviously think he was lying and maybe, maybe he was, but. There's so much physical evidence. It's kind of right. bananas. Yeah. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This, I've, this, I've also never heard of this. So, and it's Canadian. So I'm kind of surprised. Go look it up. If you search on your podcast player for Falcon Lake incident, mm-hmm. you'll find a number of podcasts on it. Okay, cool. That's what I did. I will. And I got a lot of my information from a CBC article. It, I'm sure it was a little biased because they were interviewing his son. It was after his passing and his son had written a book about his father's experience. And so they were sort of talking about this book release. And so mm-hmm. they weren't gonna like poke holes in the story when they were trying to promote a book, trying to promote the book right. and this guy had whatever. But nonetheless, I mean, it's all on that website. And as we all know, and we bring up all the time, if it's on the internet, it's It's true. true. Speaking of the internet, I'm about to tell a story. This has nothing to do with the internet. (laughs) It was emailed to us. It was emailed to us. Uh, Melody has written as the title of this story, story from, quote, this reliable person. They shall remain anonymous. But they are a reliable person that we know. Very reliable. Yeah. Well spoken. Good looking. (laughs) Smart. Good looking. Ahem. 
I decided to tell you about the first story because after this story, all others happened. Whoa. I don't know what that means. I guess we'll find out. Because she had a bunch of stories and she was like, what one do you want to hear? And I said, I don't know. Just what one do you want to tell me? So, (laughs) okay. I used to live at the base of a steep hill. The house was situated so that the farmer's field was above our home. I see. It was an early summer's night and we were putting the kids to bed after a long day. One of the girls piped up that she had to go poo. This meant a trip down to the outhouse and I grudgingly volunteered to take her. Good God. We slipped on shoes, she took my hand, and we stepped out into the yard. It was at that moment that I became aware of an object hovering about five feet above the ground over the field behind me on the right. I turned to look at a silver-colored disc, which was about ten feet in diameter, manned by a singular human underneath a dome top. I remember it had large hands controlling levers to maneuver the craft and wore clothing. I had the impression that it was on an observance mission. I would guess that we were about... 20 feet from one another. It was at that moment when I realized the person's head was shaped funny that my daughter asked me what it was. I replied something along the lines of I wasn't sure. I didn't feel afraid, but I was curious and my daughter didn't seem afraid either. Is that it? Sort of. There was a follow-up email because I said, well, what happened after that, right? Yeah. And she was like, well, the kid had to go to the bathroom. It was very pressing. So it sort of like went away. But I don't know. I had to get the kid in the bathroom, basically. <laughs> I'm kind of intrigued. The way she describes the UFO is like how I, I would draw a UFO as a child, you know? Like with the bubble on with top. With the bubble on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, listen to this one. This is another one from my area, Brook Valley. So, very, oh, really? That's neat. Yes. So I have this whole book that I borrowed from my friend Catherine Orfald, wonderful artist. Check her out. Um, called Finding Home Stories from Brook Valley. And it's all of these stories that are like specific to this tiny little area. It's pretty neat. Anyway, Close Encounters of the Brook Valley Kind by Jim <laughs> Deco. <laughs> what a great title. In the early days of the community, Mike and Beth McCarthy and their two daughters lived here with us. One day, while Mike and I were up on ladders painting the fascia boards of the last of the two cottages we were constructing, something drew our attention to the pasture about 50 yards away. A silver disc-shaped object hovered quietly above the field. We were stunned. Pontoons were attached to the bottom of the craft. We could see windows on the dome, and I wondered whether the occupants inside were monitoring our minds to see if we were worth contacting, only to quickly realize that we were poor candidates. <laughs> Mike quietly crept down the ladder to get a camera from his car, but as soon as he raised the camera, the craft disappeared. It was as if it had produced a shield to conceal itself. When Mike hid the camera, the craft reappeared for a moment before noiselessly shooting off remarkably fast at a 45-degree angle. And then there's actually another story in here. Can I just say that Brook Valley was started by a bunch of hippies and it was a commune? Shush. (laughs) (laughs) This one, I'm not going to read the whole one because it's a little bit longer, but there's another story of someone seeing a UFO in the book. Actually, she hadn't seen it. So she ran into two people from Brook Valley, one of them named Art. Oh, said Art, I've been meaning to talk to you two. The other night I was woken up at 3 a.m. by lights outside the window. I looked out and saw a massive circle of lights hovering over your two houses. I assumed it was a flying saucer, but just to be sure I wasn't dreaming or imagining things, I woke up Wanda and had her take a look. She assured me the UFO was definitely there. She could clearly see it, too. Art, I said, didn't you think to phone me? It's not often I get to see a UFO over the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said, it was three o'clock in the morning. I didn't want to wake you up. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I guess shortly after that, she was visiting someone who was dating Sarah Harmer. Do you know you know Sarah Harmer? Oh, yeah. Canadian musician. So Sarah Harmer wrote a song about it called UFO Rosie uh, when she was in Weeping Tile. And it was on one of their albums. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. UFOs in Brook Valley. We have Bigfoot. We got UFOs. Oh We've my God. This cool. Hamlet has everything. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Why didn't you think to call me? It's not every day I get to see a UFO <laughs> over my house. Oh my God. Uh, I have a quick story from my mom. Okay. I saw something. I went out the back door and I saw these like couple of orange lights zigzagging over the trees down behind there's a tree line behind the field behind Hopetown and they were just kind of zigzagging and then up and down not very far after a little bit up and down and zigzag really really fast I thought, well what the heck is that a helicopter couldn't change direction that quickly I didn't think it was a drone because nobody had drones back then this was about 1999 or 2000 somewhere around there so I jumped in the car and I drove down to Hopetown to the store and got June. I said, June, come look at this. And she went out the back and we're watching and it's just zip, back and forth. And then up a little bit, but not very much. And hover for a bit, then zip, 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 zip. And then it would go back the other way. Then it kind of looked like it went down behind the trees. Wow, we should go and see what it is. So we jumped in the car and went on that little bitty dirt road and started driving down. Then we thought, well, hell, what if it is a UFO and they've landed and we're going to run right into them and there ain't no place to turn around. So we got really scared because I thought I even knew where where it was. But then we kind of saw sense and turned around and went back home. And by the time we got back, we couldn't see it anymore. And we watched and we watched and we didn't see any more light. But then later that night, there were planes kind of circling on the horizon and they circle and circle for a couple of hours. And you know planes didn't fly over that Hopetown house. You didn't see planes there. But it was like, it was as though they were looking for something. So I always figured that somehow some somebody picked it up, up on it and they were searching for it because they circled and circled and circled for a long time. We didn't get a newspaper, but I kind of kept my eye on the news, but I never did see anything. That was before the time where you went online and read news, you know, with a little more isolated. And we never heard of anybody else seeing it either. That's a good one. Yeah. And her friend saw it down the road. Yeah. Liz, real quick. Yes, Mel. What are you listening to? Anything? Well, I'm always listening to many things, but I've talked about them before. But I did listen to an episode of a podcast my friend sent me this week. Yeah. Called My Father Wrote a Porno. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it is bizarre. It is. <laughs> I've only listened to the first episode, which took, which was four years ago. So this, this podcast goes on for a long time because it's still happening. Yeah. And he must still be writing porno. He just reads a- these pornographic books that his father writes one chapter at a time. Yeah. And they're awful. And, but it's really funny, though. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they've gotten pretty big. They have. I think they're like people making like ce- money at podcasting. Yeah, like celebrities are on the podcast sometimes. Like really? Emma Thompson has been on the podcast. <gasps> Love Emma Thompson. I didn't know that. Yeah. About that podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was listening to that. It was good. It's funny. Cool. Cool, but, I, cool. but I'm such a creature of habit. I just like listen to the same podcast every week. One of my favorite podcasts is Reply All. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, their most recent episode touches on some UFO stuff. So that was pretty exciting. Oh, I should hear this week. I should subscribe to that. You should. Oh my God. You should. Reply All is fucking great. Okay. It's so good. What just you- like the laughter. PJ Vote, I think is his name. The way he laughs. Like I would subscribe just to listen to that man giggle. <laughs> <laughs> What are you um, listening to this Well, week? I just wanted to make a couple recommendations Oh, based on our topic. Oh. So I, I mentioned a little bit the nighttime podcast. Uh, the host's name is Jordan Bonaparte. And <laughs> no, it's not. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I believe he's out in Halifax. So it's very, he has a nice, thick Canadian accent, East Coast accent. Yeah, I that's our that. only real regional accent, kind of. <laughs> that's a good one. Anyway. That's a solid one. It's, it's a good different, one. Different from all the other um, ones. But he has, I believe it's six parts so far anyway on UFOs called, uh, the series is called UFOs Above Canada. <laughs> and it's really great. I if, don't know why. If I you think... want like a primer on UFOs and like a lot of the sciencey stuff and he does a whole episode on like how to report a UFO sighting and he goes through it because his son sees something and he's like, this sounds legit. And so he reports <laughs> it and it, and I won't tell the rest of the story, but he goes through the whole reporting process and, uh, Canada has a reporting process. Yes. What was the thing I told you? Like moose. Fuck. What was it? Muff. Mufti. Mufti? <laughs> Musta? Musta. Shit. <laughs> what is it called? Don't smoke a bowl before you record a podcast. Oh my God. I need to quit weed. It's making me dumb. <laughs> UFO reporting. <laughs> Mufon. That's what it is. Mufon. Mufon. Mufon.com. Dot UK dot dot org. No, just dot com. So, yeah, that's a great one. And then Dark Poutine, I mentioned, had a really great episode on the Falcon Lake incident. That's really good. And if you like comedy, if you aren't so serious about your UFOs, there's a a podcast called Hound Tall Discussion Series with Moshi Kasher. Moshi Kasher. You know that person? Yeah, I think they're, uh, he's He's a a stand-up comedian. comedian. He's a big, tall guy. Okay. With cool hair. He looks like Egon from the Ghostbusters. Cool. So he does an episode on UFOs and he has like an expert guy who's written a book. A UFO. What is it? A ufologist. Ufologist. <laughs> he has a ufologist on and he has like a panel of stand up comedians. So they crack a lot of jokes. It's oh, pretty funny. It sounds so and good. And the episode is just called UFOs. Interesting. And that's Moshi M O S H E. Yes. Those are my recommendations. Nice. Liz, do you have any plugs? You know, me. Yeah, I'd plug you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can reciprocate. (laughs) (laughs) My Instagram, L-I-Z-Z-O-U-S-E. I hesitate to send people there because I haven't posted in a while. I've been so fucking busy. so busy. I started a new job at the beginning of September and there's a lot to learn and I've been shooting a wedding or some sort of gig. I've been gigging like every weekend since then. So I have not posted in a long time, but I have big things coming. I've been saying this all summer. <laughs> I'm finally, <laughs> I'm going to change over my website and it hasn't happened. Um, but yeah, you can go to my Instagram or my website, lizography.com. 
Don't go to Lizzieography.com because that is a woman in Texas whose name is Liz and is also a photographer. Lizography.com. Bam. What about you, Mel? What do you have to plug? Just me. <laughs> Just plugging myself. <laughs> Liz won't plug me. <laughs> MelodyStarkweather.ca. And yeah, I'm also really not updating it much. I should just plug the podcast because that's all I do. So you can find the podcast at teachmetigerpodcast.ca, teachmetigerpodcast on Instagram, Facebook. I think I'm actually, I'm certain we're on Pinterest even, although I don't go there much. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash teachmetigerpodcast where you can give us money just a little bit. Give us some money. And then Melody, who does all of the work and I just show up, will put other interesting things from the podcast episodes into Patreon that you can only access with a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And they're all really funny. So you have to watch yes. it. Bonus. There's a bonus episode for every episode. Yeah. And it's almost except for like the first 10 or something. So we didn't have Patreon, but it's like, it's like almost an additional like half an hour of material. It's so good. So it depends. Yeah. It could be more. Yeah. And Laura, sorry to use you for profit because you donated your time. <laughs> to our podcast, but if you pay us a little money, you could go hear Laura talk about uh, the U.S. government involvement in UFO research and some of the different projects. Yeah. And yeah. other stuff. More Laura, more us, more, more fun. More everything. More everything. And more like, cool. You'd be more cool if you gave us money. <laughs> <laughs> That's Melody laughing at her own joke. <laughs> yeah. No, she's right. You would be. <laughs> And I want to take this opportunity to thank our patrons on Patreon. Thanks, guys. You're the best. Thank you. We appreciate you. Goodbye. Wait. I just wanted to say one more thank you, Goodbye. Liz. Liz is done. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Big thanks to our friends who shared their stories. And thank you so very much to Laura Thursby. And thank you thank for you, listening. Laura. And remember, and remember, it's, it's a, a jungle, jungle out there. Teach me, Tiger, how to tease you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tiger, Tiger, I want to squeeze you. Whoa, 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 whoa. for all of our guests who we forced to do that on their own. <laughs> Bye. Bye.